0: It's great to uh, have you here. It's a privilege to to be here while Clay is uh, resting and uh, refreshing up in Flagstaff. I hope that already this morning you have uh, tracked at least a little bit with the uh, theme for this morning. As we just got done singing, we've been singing about the marvelous, matchless love of God. In Christ, at the cross, we've also, from redeemed hearts, I trust, genuinely been offering to God our declaration, to Jesus our declaration, that we love him because he first loved us. And now, for the rest of our time here this morning, our message which is very simply from Christ's words in John 13:35 and from John's words repeating those same words in 1 John chapter 4 love one another love one another and I've chosen this this topic in this theme focus this morning not at all because I believe that there is a deficiency or a lack or a neglect or a complacency, but precisely because it's true that this church has a, a well-deserved reputation inside and outside of these walls as being a church that both loves the truth and has a caring, compassionate love for one another. And so this morning then, maybe I might poke the embers, better yet the Holy Spirit might poke the embers and fan the flame and throw a log or two on the fire of of your love to keep it burning hot and bright. So would you turn first please with me to John chapter 13. Our setting is the upper room. Christ is there with the 12. And tonight, in that upper room, Jesus is going to provide an example of love that the disciples are to imitate. Tomorrow, Friday, on a Roman cross, he will accomplish... An unprecedented, unique act of love, the most important event in the history of heaven and earth. And we read from verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. One translation, to the utmost. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, And then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then verse 6, he came to Peter. And you know how the exchange went with Peter. So we pick up at verse 12. And when he had washed all their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. And again, we skip down to verse 33. Little children, yet a little while while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this... All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, for the rest of this morning, at the beginning, the middle, and the end of our every thought, may your love for us in giving Christ may his love for us and giving his life be at the center God this morning will you remind us perhaps even teach us something new about how to love and why to love as you have loved us we pray this in Jesus name for his glory amen Why is it so, and how is it so, that John's love for Matthew, say, or Peter's love for Thomas, is so important, so vital to Christ? Or maybe closer to home, why is it so, or how is it so, that my love for you or your love for me or your love for the person in front of you or beside you and in the rest of this building, in this local body, is so important to Christ. That you be loving one another. Well, I want to try to look for some clues that we might understand just a little bit better about God's ultimate purpose in having us, demanding us, instructing us to love one another beyond just the fact, perhaps, that it is obvious that the lover is blessed and the loved one is blessed. What else is in God's heart, in God's mind? open to John first John rather please chapter 4 John the apostle was obviously an eyewitness and a participant in the upper room events that we just read about just a couple things that you know about John already uh, if you were to Run into him and he was in a public place and he had a name tag on, it wouldn't say John. It would be a little bit bigger name tag and it would say the apostle whom Jesus loved or the disciple whom Jesus loved. The fact that Christ loved John so much was his, became his identity. An identifier in life. And now, 50 years later, after the events of the upper room and the crucifixion, John is called by God to be the last of those gospel writers and even the last of the epistle writers. And it's been some 50 years now that even John recorded the gospel of John, and his being the only gospel that included the account of the washing of the feet. And now, even another three, four years, perhaps later, maybe 85, 87 A.D., John is writing this epistle, his first, that we look at now. In his mind, still, and has been for 50-some years, Jesus' admonition and call for him, for them, the disciples, to love one another. Follow along as I read, and then we'll come back and look for those clues. Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 7, chapter 4. For love is from God. God. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us in these 6 verses John 15 times uses the word love 1 John is often called the epistle of love and certainly the last 3 chapters of the first John almost exclusively talk about this topic of love And if you know any Greek words at all, I'm sure you know this word for love. Shall we practice it together? Quiz. The New Testament predominant word, the word that we're talking about here is agape. The verb form agapao. And so just for a couple minutes, I'd like to bring to your mind... And have you bring to your mind that which you already know about this supernatural, divine, sacrificial, giving, living for, dying for love. Love that God the Father has for God the Son, that the Son has for the Father. That the Holy Spirit has for the Father and the Son. The love that God had for the world. In giving his only son. That the son had for God's elect. In giving his life a ransom. A sacrifice, an atonement for sin. This is fruit of the spirit love. It's patient, kind. No envy, no boasting. No arrogance, never rude, never selfish. Never irritable or resentful. This love... Agape love never seeks its own benefit. It always seeks another's benefit and another's greatest good. This love always initiates but never expects return in kind. And this love is expensive. It always costs the giver something. Often it costs the giver much. And sometimes it costs the giver everything. Paul says this love is the fulfillment of the entire law. And loving one another with this love is to be serving and devoted to one another, showing hospitality and a heart of mercy. Love says yes to request and needs, and gives with open hands from an open heart. This love does good. It's kind. It shows honor and preference, forgiveness and humility. It prays for one another. This love encourages and comforts, admonishes and corrects. It speaks the truth in love. It's harmonious, sympathetic, affectionate, compassionate, humble. It builds others up. And you know this. Love bears all things. It believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. This love, the greatest of all Christian virtues, it what? It never fails. Verse seven. The first word is a word that we do not want to pass by or take for granted or as gary said to just say that it goes without saying now i don't know if this first word is one is two syllables or three is it beloved or beloved but i know this this is john's favorite word to call believers and those people that he has a relationship with i know someone else you do too who also has this As their favorite word of address, and uh, it would be a blessing to him. He may get a little tired of it after a while if you all do this, but uh, you know, ask him. Ask him why that word "beloved" is so so very important to him. It means to be loved by God. So we're definitely talking here, Paul, or excuse me, John, is addressing Christians, believers. But it also means to be loved by me. So brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a relationship, there's a spiritual connection, there's an intimacy that exists. John says, beloved. And now he picks up, 55 years later, with what he remembers and what he has been living and learning all of his ministry life, he says, let us, as Jesus said, love One another. And now he adds a little word for. Hoti. In the Greek. Or because. This is a statement of purpose. So John's going to give us the first reason why we are to love one another. And he addresses, I think, importantly, through the rest of this little passage... All of those clues that will help us learn just a little bit more about why and how this is so important to Christ. The first thing he says, there's three here in this verse, three reasons, three purposes that we're to love one another. He says first that love is from God love is from God. God himself is the source of this love. This is not a human love. We'll see. Apart from God, this love does not exist. God himself is the source. He's the only source of genuine love. He's the well, if you will, from which the water flows. And... Now, number two, still part of why or the purpose. John continues that whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever loves as a defining characteristic of their life, not perfectly, completely, in every way, in every circumstance, but it's a progressive part of our, of our sanctification, nonetheless. Whoever loves as a defining characteristic of their life, this is evidence that they have been born of God. Now, literally, this word born means to be fathered by. So, if you are a lover as the characteristic of your life, this is evidence that you've been fathered by God. You've been born again, you've been born from above. You've been converted, you've been regenerated, you've been given new life and a new heart, a loving heart, and the loving work of the Holy Spirit and salvation has indeed been poured out and accomplished in the life of a person who loves. And number three reason in this verse Whoever loves also knows God. There's an intimacy of of relationship that is intimated by this word. Because God knows them and chose them to know him before the foundation of the world. There is relationship with God that is demonstrated when one loves God. So verse 7, John offers three reasons, three purposes as to why we are to love one another. And in this verse, they are positively stated. In the next verse, verse 8, they're stated negatively. He says... And anyone who does not love as a defining characteristic of their life, and now he makes a startling statement, does not know God, does not have this intimate, relational knowledge of God. And therefore is not known. By God. Because God is love. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So John says that if agape love is not being demonstrated in thought, word, and action as a regular part of one's life, that that person does not know God really at all. And the reason he offers for that conclusion... Is because God is love. It's always good to see verses that we know, verses that we even quote, but to see them where they belong in context. God is love. Why is that? So important here, and what does it mean? Well, this famous statement, well-known statement, says that God does not just do loving things, but but the way this is constructed is, is when, when we say, or when the Greek language, when John here says God is love, it implies that all of his activity is loving activity. So if God creates He creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature, which in this case is being emphasized, is to love. So again, not just that God does loving things as to why we should love, but God himself can only love. And so if one claims to be truly beloved, truly born of God, verse 7, truly known by God and knowing God, and yet is not loving with the love of God, John says that that person is not beloved, is not born of God, is not known by God, and that this person doesn't even know God. Now this is not the only verse that uh, I would say is sobering in the New Testament about the evidence of genuine conversion. But this can be a very difficult Even frightening verse for some. And so I just want to stop for a moment together and maybe take just a little bit of inventory. Do you love? Do I? How long has it been? A card, a note, a text, a call, a conversation. Maybe some specific prayer. Maybe even just a greeting, an embrace, a smile. But what about the initiating, giving, caring, sacrificing, you know, the really loving. Like Christ loves us. Am I too busy? Am I too distracted to love One another, you, me, them, her, him. Am I just too selfish? Make a note God, who? God, what? God, when? Maybe today, maybe this afternoon. While we keep looking. At why and how we're to love. Verse 9. He continues. In this the love of God was made manifest. That is, the love of God was revealed or made visible or evident among us. Okay, how, God? That God sent his only Son into the world. Now, you've read that before. You've seen that before many times. You might have even seen that reference at a football game, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him... Would not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his only son. How is that possible if indeed we are his sons and daughters, as the scripture clearly teaches? Well, we need to understand what the word only means. Monogenes. Often translated only begotten or only born, but it can be a little confusing because it doesn't mean like an only child and there are no others. What it really means is that, that the, the, this word means it's to be one of a kind or uniquely born. And in, in the New Testament, it's reserved for Jesus alone. While all Christians are children of God, Jesus is God's Son in a unique, one of a kind sense. So, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his uniquely born Son into the world. Again, another purpose statement. So that his purpose, the Father's purpose in sending and loving, so that we, the beloved, might live through him. Well, there's another several sermons. We'll just say this. First of all, he sent his son... So that we might live through him means that first that we would have new life through him. We would have a spiritual birth. We would have eternal life. And then that we would live that eternal life now through him by his power and for him to his glory. Verse 10. In this is love. John continues to, to, to build his case and to just give us layer upon layer of truth about love. Being loved and loving. If we look deep inside this kind of love to see it and understand it biblically as it truly is, John says, this is what we're going to find. Look into love. In this is love Not anything to do about us having loved God. Agape love, the relationship, the love relationship that we have with God did not begin with or is dependent upon us. Not that we loved God but that he loved us. And now John's even going to give us another layer and peel that back and say, let me tell you how he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We don't use that word very often. You shouldn't be frightened of it. Because you know what it means. Propitiation means to be an appeasement, to be a satisfaction, to be an atoning sacrifice. And doctrinally, God sent his son to be and provide the substitutionary atonement for our sins. And that is the greatest and ultimate of divine love. In the previous chapter, look at First John 3:16, John has already said this to his readers, "By this, we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers." Well, let's do three minutes. On the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. First from the Old Testament. Starting in the tabernacle and then into the temple. For hundreds of years, thousands of priests had received from the Israelites untold millions of animals worth of blood slaughtered sacrificed sprinkled on the altar hundreds of years thousands of priests millions of animals untold millions upon millions of sin and sins and exactly 0 none were ever removed, ever expiated, ever forgiven. There was no propitiation of the righteous demands of God. No one became holy, even as he is holy. And then... Get to the Gospels, the Epistles, the change in numbers. One perfect, spotless, blameless, qualified Lamb of God, God's own Son, made one perfect, complete sacrifice for all of the sins of all of God's people. Once for all, paying the price, the entire price, the penalty for all time. And every sin for whom Christ sacrificed and died was completely Removed, expiated, atoned for, for all time. Removed, how far? As far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. Paul says, he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The penalty that we could never pay, Jesus paid it all. The righteous life that we could never live, the holiness required by God that we could never obtain ever, he lived for us and exchanged our sin for his righteousness on the cross. That's love in the extreme. Verse eleven. Again, beloved, beloved, if, and it's true, so since. God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. You know, this word ought is different than a you must command. But it's not a, "Mm, it'd be really nice if you did word. It literally means to owe a debt. So we, we know that we've heard all our lives, and it's true that we could never, ever repay Christ for the debt of love that he paid. And yet, this is what Paul says in Romans thirteen eight. 8. Owe no one anything except this one thing. Except love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. John said, beloved, since God so loved us, we are under a debt... To respond to God's love of us on the cross through Christ by loving one another. That's the debt. That's the obligation. Verse 12. Here's John's final, at least for our little passage. Final answer to why and how loving one another in the body of Christ, okay? And there are other, had discussion after the first thing that, wow, this is just like in Ephesians and and how, you know, husbands loving their wives is, you know, it just sends a message to the world. Yeah, absolutely, and loving our neighbors is important and loving them. But here in, in this context, we're talking about Loving one another in the body of Christ, loving each other, even starting in, in the local body of Christ. In this room, in your row, that's what we're talking about. He makes an interesting statement at the beginning of verse 12. He just says something that seems self-evident. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And we know that because God is spirit as God is love but listen to how others might see God or might know God in the same way that you and I see God and know God with spiritual eyes sure but maybe even with physical eyes How do you see, how might we see the love of God, the love of Christ, whom we've never seen, who isn't even seeable? God. He says, if or when we love one another, two things happen. There's two results They join together he said, number one, God abides in us when we love one another. <clears throat> now, again, abides is one of John's other favorite words, which he picks up on in, in the Gospel of John as Jesus uses the word abide. You know, if I abide in you and you abide in me and we abide in the Father, my word abides in you and, and we will dwell. And, and, and John uses it in his epistle. Like I said, one of his favorite words, to, to abide, the Greek word meno, it means to remain or dwell, to tarry, to encamp, to set up a home or a residence. And that Christ sets up his permanent home in us and we in him is really a remarkable statement. Do you believe it? Is it true? And that there is an entrenchment in that living arrangement, he in us and we in him, his love in us, that there's an entrenchment in that living arrangement as we love one another is remarkable as well. John sees the soul of the loved and loving disciple as a dwelling place of the presence and power of God, a dwelling place of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now we finish up John's words here. He continues that when we love each other, God abides in us, and his love Christ's love, this sacrificial, atoning, saving love, is perfected in us. This is an important word for Christians to know. Perfected. What it means and what it doesn't mean. It means to be made complete, mature, finished, whole. Whole. To be perfected is to be filled up in whatever is lacking. And get this, to be perfected is to be equipped and fully functional for one's intended purpose or mission. God's love is Made fully equipping, fully functional in his people so that we might fulfill our mission, our purpose for him saving us. Follow this closely as we come to some conclusions. The disciples, the 12 or the 11, In the upper room. They had a mission. They had a purpose. It was a great mission. A great commission. You could say. And that was to make other disciples. Of all nations. By living the gospel of the love of Christ. And proclaiming the gospel. Of the love of Christ. To everyone and everywhere. They went. And front and center priority one of living the gospel of the love of Christ was to openly be loving one another in the body of Christ. Their genuine love for one another would be a brilliant display of the even greater first love of the cross of Christ. And God would use not just their words, but their lives, and their lives in loving one another, first around that table of 11, and then around the room of 110, and then on Pentecost, and and the, the number and the permutations would grow. But that love of one another in the body of Christ, Christian to Christian, believer to believer, beloved to beloved, Would be used by God in the unbelieving world's life to draw men and women to the gospel of love that Christ had for them. And He would grant repentance and faith and new life and would birth new beloveds, new disciples. And those new disciples, those new beloveds gathered into the universal body of Christ and local expressions of that body of Christ, God would use the disciples' love for one another to greatly multiply and adorn God's gospel love to them, to the believers. That they would be built up in the faith that they themselves would be equipped and completed for their mission, which is the same mission and the same mission that we have to go into the world, all nations, and make disciples by living the gospel, loving one another, and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Why and how? Because you know what? With every command, this command that God gives us, and Every command. You won't find one command in Scripture about which this is not true. In other words, this is true. Two things. Two reasons. Two results. When God's people obey God's commands, number one, God himself is glorified to the highest. And number two, his obedient people are blessed to the fullest. God is glorified to the highest when we love one another. And we are blessed to the fullest when we love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that I love you, that you're loved, that Christ loved you, and Christ loves the world when you love. One another. You pray for me with me? You can pray for me too. Father, how deep, how vast your love for us to give. Your uniquely born son. Lord Jesus, how incomprehensible your love for us that while we were still sinners, still your enemies, you died for us, paid the price on our behalf. Would you stir up our love? Would you accept now our praise in song and prayer as a sacrifice of worship? Would you accept our love of one another as love for you? And may we be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ears, to the glory of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him. Next Sunday morning, God willing, the entire service, from the first note we sing to the last amen we say, will be a remembrance, a communion service about the love of Christ on the cross, and we'll see it from the eyes of David. A thousand years before it happened like he was there. Because he was. Because God was. In the meantime, go love one another.